centers, community of the church, then you would know that I have got this word on my heart this year. I'm not really usually like a word for the year type person. I think I'm just too much of a multitasker for that. But if there was ever a year for it, it, it is this year. Because I have this word holy just so resonating in my spirit and in my head and in my heart. And so we're actually going to be speaking about holiness this morning in the sense that God is holy. And then throughout the story of the world, through both testaments, the people of God have been called to be holy. And the Israelites essentially showed up how it is so impossible for humanity in their own strength to actually be holy. They don't meet the standard. We don't meet the standard. Even if you're 99% there, in the light of 100% perfection, that 1% shows up, you know? And so the Israelites reveal this inability of humanity and their own strength to achieve it, and therefore the need of Saviour. And Jesus enters the story of the world, and he gifts us his Holy Spirit as he graduates onto heaven, where he's sitting, just interceding, we're going to talk about that later on, for us right now, all the time. Um, and the Holy Spirit, we have this gift to us, and so have a fighting chance to be holy as he is holy, but at the same time, just live in a space of such beautiful grace poured out from heaven, because all of our failings just fall into nothing as we come into line behind Jesus, and Jesus is the one who is seen. Whenever any judgment is cast, Okay, it's like Jesus is the one who's seen. His 100% makes up for all of our failures. And so this word holy is a beautiful word to explore, but how about we just pray for like fast speech and quick hearing because I always have much to say. And um, we only have so much time. So Father, I pray that you just anoint this time. And I pray that it is your word and it is your agenda that goes forth into your people and your church We've spoken about, like, what I have, I know, in, in series gone by last year, just these times that we live in, and I pray that this would be a word for now, like a now word. It is a timeless word, this word holy, but at the same time, Father, there must be a reason that it's being highlighted and that it's um, that we're taking the time to just ponder it for a moment together as a company of people. But would it just penetrate the hearts of your people? And with the pondering, continue on past just this moment that we come together to listen and receive. So bless it, it's next half hour, but so too bless our ponderings beyond this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I feel like maybe like a really great place to start if we're talking about holiness is just exactly what that word means because we all come from these different contexts and the word holy gets used in church, out of church, you know, holy people are saying out there and it's like what does it even mean? So this little slide up here, thanks Alan, and it just gives us the Hebrew word guys which you know that I love a bit of Hebrew, it's this word Kadesh and, and it just means pretty much to be sanctified, this is the word holy, okay, Kadesh is the Hebrew word for holy. To be sanctified, to be consecrated, to be dedicated, or to be separated from the world and worldliness. I really love that, that definition. And then if you're struggling with any of the other words, they're like sanctified pretty much means to be set apart. The thing with God being holy, when he says, I am holy, it is like he is different. He is set apart from us. We can't liken him to us because he is not us. He is holy, set apart. 
He is not of this world. He is not of worldliness. Okay? He is sanctified, pure, set apart. He's consecrated. It's when something is made sacred and sacred is that which has a connection to God. Right? And so we as humans sometimes tend to like making spaces sacred. Like this is a hundred year old church building. I love that there have been people worshipping in this building for a hundred years. I think it is just, it is covered with sincere praise, worship, amazing. But the minute we all up and leave this building, this building is no longer sacred. We are the ones that will bring the Holy Spirit. In this um, article, uh, I mentioned two Old Testament scriptures where you realize that it is the same God through the Old and the New Testament. One of the scriptures that I read is Isaiah 6 verse 3. And it's this moment in the Old Testament where Isaiah, incredible man, okay, incredible prophet of God to his time, he's talking, he has this vision and it's, his angels are in this vision and they're singing, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah has this vision of Jesus. His like robe is filling the temple and his angels are just singing, holy, holy, holy around him. And in this moment, even Isaiah, who, if you know anything about his life, look, the guy was phenomenal. He is like, he is brought to his knees and actually feels like he is going to die in the presence of God. He becomes that aware of his inadequacy. Isn't that crazy? Like, I mean, the guy might have been at 95%, but listen, standing against 100%, he just becomes so aware and is brought to his knees. And the beautiful evolving of this vision is that this angel picks up this coal, and this is the part that can get a bit confusing when you read it. You're like, what's going on with that coal? But it comes off the altar, which is always a place of sacrifice. And it comes off the altar, and the angel like comes over and puts this coal on Isaiah's lips. Do you know the scripture at all? For those of you who read your Bibles. But what is happening in this moment, though, is that Isaiah is then made completely pure. And it's this picture of even then in the Old Testament, pre-Jesus, a man living in a time where actually the people of God were more familiar with the judgment of God than they were with his grace. And it was a time where if somebody unclean touched you, their uncleanliness would be imputed onto you. You would receive it like a leper. If he touches you, you are now unclean. You've got to go through certain rituals to be made clean. Um, and this is what the people were living in, a time where, where, where unholiness was always transferred onto you. And so it was this aim of trying to keep yourself pure all the time. And it was a struggle, honestly. I'm so grateful. I am a New Testament person. So here in this image, this coal comes over and it makes Isaiah completely holy. And he has essentially a revelation of what Jesus is going to do on the cross. And he's going to sacrifice himself as what happens on an altar. And because of his sacrifice, Anything he touches is made clean. I mean, him, him in the New Testament, he would walk around and he would touch the leper, and instead of the leprosy going to him, the cleanliness and the purity and the wholeness of Jesus would pass on to that person. But what we can't forget as New Testament believers is that it doesn't mean that he isn't still a God of judgment. How can you not be? If your standard is here, it's like saying to people, oh, you need to get 85% to get in for medicine at Stellenbosch. You know, and then no one even checks, and anybody's just allowed it. You know what I mean? To come and do the course. 
It's, it's like there is a standard. There has to be when you are perfect and when heaven is perfect. And we don't meet the standard. But because of Jesus, we are allowed access. We straight access in this New Testament time. I wonder whether this word holy is on my heart because I, I just never want us as New Testament people to um, ride the grace of God. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, well, it's fine. Jesus just makes up for it. It's no problem. Yes, he does. But like, it's only a heart thing that we can assess in ourselves as to whether we're actually trying to be holy as he is holy, like wanting to become more like him. When Corinthians 6.19, it says, have you forgotten, this is Paul speaking, that your body is now the sacred temple of the spirit of holiness who lives in you? How beautiful is that? You don't belong to yourselves any longer, but the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside your sanctuary. It's a beautiful scripture. It's a scripture that, when I read it, I'm like, oh, gosh, it's responsibility. Suddenly on my life and on, on how I live, and not in a burdensome way, because that is actually not going to ever be from Jesus. That's not how he rolls. But in a, oh, my goodness, like he would trust us. And we are his planet right now on planet Earth way. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece of scripture. The thing is, with the Holy Spirit living in us, um, and with us, with God being holy, but us as the people of God, again, across the Testaments, them, when they were the Israelites, who were the people of God, us, the church today, the people of God, We've all been called to become holy like he is holy. And let me just read 2 Corinthians 3, 18 to you, because I think it it gives us a great idea of how, how do we even do that. It says we can all draw close to him. With the veil removed, before the scriptures talking about how Moses used to have to like have this veil on because of the presence of God. And, and, and what it's essentially saying without going into too much detail is we can actually come face to face with God in this time, in this, in this chapter of the story of the world that we live in. We actually have direct access in a way that those guys did not have. We have direct access to God, the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. Like, that's it. We're not supposed to try and figure out, oh my gosh, how do I copy and paste? How do I do? We're supposed to just walk and talk and live and breathe with the Holy Spirit. And then who he is, if we become like mirrors, begins to reflect in and through and out of us. We become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We're being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who's the Spirit. It's like a pressure off. That's just like, do life with the Holy Spirit. And watch, and watch as perhaps more patience begins to ooze out of you, more joy, more love. This fruit of the Spirit, you find it in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, 
beautiful things in Galatians 5. And we can try and do that in our own spirit. I need to just have more self-control. We can go, oh my gosh, this is not something I can do on my own. Even Old Testament guys prove that. I need to just rest into the Holy Spirit and ask for that, for my life to become like a mirror so it will begin to ooze out of me, not because of who I am, but because of who the one who lives in me is. Verse 13 and 1 and 1, it says, So roll up your sleeves, get your head in the game, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. It's a heavy word to use, actually. Now, if people were just doing whatever they felt like doing, that the scripture would actually call it evil, it's heavy. Like, we don't think of evil in that way. All it's meaning is it's like, sometimes you, you do have to just go, what's right? Like, what, what does self-control require of me here? You know what I mean? What does discipline require in my life? Don't slip back into old habits. No, I'm going to literally pull myself into this lane because this is the right lane to live in. It says you didn't know any better then. You do now. This is people who found Jesus and have the Holy Spirit in them. They now know better. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. Okay? A set-apartness. A purity. A sacredness. God said, I am holy. You be holy. There it is. Verse 17. You call out to God for help and he helps. I mean, there's the good news, guys. You can think to yourself, how the heck? (laughs) He is not expecting us to do it on our own. There is no pressure on us in the natural. It is like you call out to God for help and then he helps. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father. This is his this is judgment and grace. And he won't let you go by with sloppy living. Verse 18 is so beautiful. Your life is a journey. You must travel with a deep consciousness of God. Isn't that lovely? Your life is a journey. And he's not expecting us to be like, we just nailed it in one hit. He's not. He's like, journey with me. And just have a deep consciousness of me and watch what will happen on the inside and work its way out of your life. It's so beautiful. I talk about us being a temple of the Holy Spirit now. And there were different temples across the story of the world. There was that bush with Moses. But when Moses then went and took the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt and led them out of Egypt into what was going to be their promised land, it took an unnecessary amount of time. Okay, It should have been 40 days. It took 40 years. But God promised that his presence was going to go with the people. I'm just showing you a bit of a picture of what the structure now looks like that God says, okay, you're going to be walking through the desert and I am going to go with you. Okay? And my presence is going to be housed in a temporary tent, pretty much. Okay? The humility of God. <laughs> that he would dwell in a tent or that he would dwell in a human body. It's crazy how much he loves us. And so there he is. See that like smoke section at the back? That section would have, would have been known as the Holy of Holies. But just before that section was an, an, an area that had a roof over it. And there were like three pieces of furniture in there. And then the section like all here, which doesn't have a roof in it, was all known as the outer 
court. And the Israelites, okay, were essentially, there was like protocol to the presence of God. It was like like a pilgrimage to get to the Holy of Holies, although they never even ever were allowed in there as a normal person. The high priest was allowed in there once a year, and the high priest would carry all of the sin of the people and all of the prayer of the people into the Holy of Holies, and God would like dissolve it all once a year. It was a day of celebration, and then they would go back to their lives and rituals and being reminded that essentially... They could not do holiness on their own. We need a savior. We need Jesus. Okay? And so this is what it kind of looked like. If you can go to the floor plan, what I want to show you, we don't have a tabernacle anymore. We don't need a tabernacle. We are not wandering through the wilderness. But God is not wasteful with anything he does. And everything he's done across time is something that we can learn more about him. And essentially what we learn is that he just loves us and wants to be with us. And so here, the people in the Old Testament would come through this gate here. This is why I'm saying you've got to look into this more because this gate was in the east. Jesus came through the east gate when he went into Jerusalem. The Garden of Eden had an eastern gate. There's something so beautifully significant about the east. We'll save it for another time. But they all had to go through just this one gate to get into the outer court. And it was this gate of praise. Moses wrote Psalm 100, and in Psalm 100, he actually says there, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Moses and the people that he led would walk through here, and then it was transferred onto other leadership when Moses, you know, went on to glory. And, and they would enter thanking God, just thanking him, praising him for the amazing things that he had done. Basically, blood was shed here. Okay, and us in the New Testament, I'm so grateful we don't have to shed blood because the blood of Jesus was shed once and for all. But if you use this and you are somebody that knows how to enter the presence of God with thanksgiving and remind yourself that there was a cost. There was a cost. Like blood was shed to us being able to even walk towards the Holy of Holies, God himself. There was a and then you would see this label, which was like this huge basin, and it was made of mirrors at the bottom, and the people would wash, they needed to wash because of the bloody mess before. But they would look down, and these mirrors would like reveal them, they would see themselves. And, and, and this, the beautiful thing about them seeing themselves, you find David like writing later on, and he quickly flipped to Psalm 139, just super quickly. David, I mean, like he comes up with this prayer, which is essentially the kind of prayer that you might pray when you're at that labor and that mirror is reflecting yourself. It's like, God, I actually invite you. Imagine praying this every day, guys. I invite your searching gaze into my heart, not into my actions and how well am I doing, into my heart. God is all about the heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Oh my gosh. It's a dangerous prayer. Unless you've been wanting to show up, like have yourself showing up for what's actually hiding in your heart. Put me to the test, this is David, and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on. Like this is what we do to ourselves. We go on a path, we're not going on the path of God, we're not walking with the Holy Spirit, we're just plowing on anyway, because you know, we've got to, we're going to get things done. And it's like we're on a path of pain half the time. But see if there's a path of pain you're walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting way, the path that brings me back to you. 
Isn't that stunning? Uh, that's the lever. That's what happens there in that basin. Can you go back to the floor plan really quickly? Um, once they go past the lever, guys, you enter into that tainted place, a place that has a covering over it. And there's just three pieces of furniture in there that the people would have had access to. On that side there, you had like this seven-armed candlestick. The seven-armed candlestick um, was always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And it was pointing to a time that actually a Holy Spirit was going to come and reside with the people. And right opposite was what you called the table of showbread, and it was bread, just baking. Have you ever walked into a baker? I mean, how about that smell? It was just baking all the time. And so the people would walk through, and they would be like, ah, Holy Spirit, ah, bread, the Word of God. That is what we need to be feeding our souls with. It's this pilgrimage. It's this protocol to the presence of God. Thanksgiving, blood was shed. Search your heart, your Holy Spirit. Feed me with your word, God. And then the final thing was the altar of incense because worship was different to praise. The gate that they entered in was, we thank you for all you've done. You've answered God. Sometimes it's more about us, about God, but also about us. But worship is different. Worship is magnifying God just for who he is, whether he's done stuff for us or not, for the fact that he is holy and we are not. And we can ask all the questions we want and we can feel unjustified all we want and we can feel like life is hard, but at the end of the day, we are not responsible for the breath we are breathing. We are not responsible for the sun rising. We are not responsible for the time at which Jesus will one day come and roll up this whole thing. We are not. We are not in as much control as we think we are. He is holy. He is set apart from us. And we have to remind ourselves of that. And that's what worship does. Worship just magnifies the bigness of God. And in that, just doesn't make us feel small, but actually makes us feel like, how blessed are we that God like that would love us so much? that he would come near to us in tents and bushes and in our heart. Like, how blessed are we that he cares enough for us? This is a scripture that David said. It's like, who am I even that you would think on me? You know? And like, sometimes we've got to remember that kind of stuff because we can get a bit big. And then you end up in the Holy of Holies. And like I say, it was only the high priest who went there once a year. Can I stand with me, Jim? And, um... And the high priest would pretty much go in and he would do what was called intercession. And Jesus, when he left this earth, he says, I am going to go, but it's okay, we're going to be fine, we're in the Holy Spirit, so you still have my presence, but I'm actually going to sit at the right hand of the Father and I'm going to intercede for you. He becomes like the high priest of the New Testament, where he is, whatever we want to bring to him, he just goes, that's fine, straight to the Father. What do you want to pray for? You want to pray for our country? No problem. Pray it. We have direct access to the Father through Jesus, our high priest. He is right there, hearing our heart, hearing our prayers. And you know what? We could just go straight there. We can bypass all of it. Like, we don't have the tabernacle. We don't need to be stopping at these stations and whatever else. But I really love how beautiful it is to perhaps keep us in a space where we understand the holiness of God. And, um, and we, you know, sometimes we can just 
we're in there, we're in that tent, if you like, in our prayer life so quickly. Oh, Lord, just help me, help me with this, help me with that, help me with that. And I just wonder whether it's a new testament people. We need to remind ourselves of some of the other things, the gratitude, the sacrifice, the incense, the word of God. 